Hey there, this is Jonathan Edwards from pureandsimplebible.com, and I am so grateful for another series of great conversations. I'm personally thankful because my brother in the flesh, David Edwards, is my guest, and we had fabulous conversations. I mean, uh, I think we recorded hours. And uh, so this is going to be a four-part mini-series on the question, what is my role in the church? It comes from the book of Acts, and David has a very good way of looking at people in several chapters in this book and bringing out some roles that are desperately needed in the church but often are not thought about. So if you've ever wondered what your role is, then listen up. Let's jump into the conversation, shall we? Do you ever get to be you, or are you always Doug's son or Jonathan's brother or Pacey's dad or Amanda's husband? Well, up here, I'm turning into Pacey's dad. I used to be me, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now becoming Pacey's dad. Uh, if I leave the tri-state area, yes, I'm Jonathan's brother or Doug's son. Okay. But uh, I, I told him, I said, hey, hey, I, I'm going to take a little offense to that. I, uh, I'm not quite as nasally as Jonathan. <laughs> and then, and then here, all of a sudden, here we go. I get a sinus infection the <laughs> night I'm supposed to talk to you and I'm nasally and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. I'm uh -huh. sorry. I know you've got a, a sense of humor about this now. Yeah. Karma. If, if it were real. <laughs> um, so yeah, usually when my, when I invite a guest on, I, I have them kind of introduce themselves in case people who listen to the program don't know them. You've kind of done it retroactively by uh, outing yourself as my brother and then Doug and Debbie's son. And, and you've got Amanda's your wife. You mentioned Pacey. You have two other children. Tell, tell us about your family for a little bit and what you do up in the tri-state area of Southern Ohio and West Virginia, Kentucky. Sure. I am married to Amanda. We have been married for 19 years this August. And we have three daughters. Pacey just turned 13 this past Saturday, the 10th. And I have an eight-year-old, Lindley. And I have a four-year-old, Charlie. And I teach middle school and high school band here in South Point, Ohio, kind of the southern tip. We're right across from the river from Huntington, West Virginia, where we worship there at the church at Fifth Street. I um, along with working with a school there, we recently ordained deacons a few months ago. I think it was in the spring. So that's a new role that I'm trying to get used to. I don't really have a lot of advice over that yet. We're still kind of figuring it out, <laughs> what we're supposed to be doing. It's kind of on a, a learning curve, but it, it was a, a, a true blessing to have an opportunity like that to be able to serve the people here, and we're pretty excited about it. Hey, I will tell you this, David. Uh, I texted you maybe a month ago, maybe two. I can't remember. And I was asking you about your what you do as a deacon, and I really, really like your response about uh, kind of having a prayer ministry where you uh, talk to families and individuals and just kind of gauge what they need prayer for, right? And how you, you can kind of be a 
put out the small fires. I don't know if that's exactly your words or if that's kind of the way I interpret it. And then whenever it does get kind of bigger, you can get the elders involved. But I really liked that through prayer, you were ministering to the church. Um, I shared that with some people. I thought it was a really cool way to express how you were serving as a deacon. Well, and one thing for me, obviously prayer is the biggest thing you can offer somebody. But from a conversation standpoint, you know, some people are a little awkward. They're a little uncomfortable and they maybe take off real quick after services. And so it makes it difficult. Like, how am I going to break the ice with them? How am I just going to walk up to them and say, hey, tell me all about yourself? You know, some people are like, they're real hands off about that. But to say, hey, I'm trying to pray my way through the congregation. And it just so happens that this week I want to pray for you guys. You know, is there anything coming up? You got anything going on at work that may be big or you have any any appointments or any school things? And and really, it's kind of an icebreaker because everybody's got something they need prayed for. Yeah. Or somebody that they need prayed for. And um, that has kind of helped me because I, I don't know everybody that well. And I don't want to come across so aggressive, like, hey, tell me your problems. Hey, I want to help you with all your stuff. You know, people don't want to open up to that. And some people are, are so vague that when you try to talk to them, it's kind of just the weather, the football team, you know, stuff like that. And it's hard to get to that next level. And uh, prayer kind of does that naturally. It, yeah. it makes things kind of intimate. It makes them open up more than they would normally. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And uh, so you're talking about a role that you're in. And just before we started recording, so we're kind of rehashing a conversation we just had like five minutes ago, but you were talking about kind of the reason behind this study that we're going to talk about today, which is what role do I play in the church? And uh, you were making a point, so I'm going to ask you to make it again, but you were making a point about how there there was a lot of study up at the congregation that you're at about elders and deacons, uh, but a lot of the study was about a small group of people, and there was a large group of people that um, it seemed like that the, the scriptures that y'all were focusing on for that small group, there's a whole lot of people being left behind. So could you take a minute again to even even though we've already talked about it, but will you talk to our listeners about kind of how this sermon came to be? Sure. You know, the the study involved in the eldership and the deaconship, but, you know, there's a little more passages uh, with the eldership, and we spend a lot more time going through those studies and, and kind of surveying the congregation. And you spend a lot of time trying to develop and get everybody's mind wrapped around what this role is, what is being asked of these men, and what's their role going to look like after they're ordained. And after you've spent all this time, you know, years in the making, you kind of step back and look and say, okay, well, this was, we spent a lot of time just on these few men. What about everyone else? What about other people that may never fill those roles? Uh, what about other people that may someday fill those roles? Right. Uh, when when do they start developing a role? And is there any other Bible evidence of other roles? Can everyone in the congregation fill a role? So it was kind of like, 
how how far does this trickle down? And in thinking about that, the book of Acts is really a, a wonderful place to begin because you get to see the church in its infancy as, you know, the, the apostles are kind of looking at each other as Jesus ascends. They kind of look at each other and it's kind of like, what now? What are you supposed to do now? So right. it, you really are starting grassroots at, at the beginning of the church and it growing organically with the people around them and, and people having to step up into roles that really haven't been defined. They're just, there's a need that arises. And so somebody steps up and starts to do that. And so looking through that all the way up to chapter 21, I believe, at least one person or group of people are mentioned in every single chapter. Uh, Sometimes there's a few repeated roles, but there's sometimes you know, there's roles maybe that you haven't thought of before because they're mentioned such in passing. You know, Paul may be heading to one place and he mentions somebody that he, he uh, passes by or that maybe they stayed with, and then it moves right on to the next part of the missionary journey. And these people only get maybe a line. Maybe they get, you know, just a few words that mention them, but they're recorded forever. And so right. if they're recorded, there's value in that. Right. And they did something, even though it may seem kind of small, the fact that something's been recorded for 2,000 years uh, has to be noted that there's some importance there. Right. And so, you know, kind of um, going through and at least noting those and writing them all out and saying, here are some other roles, maybe roles that you haven't thought of. Some of them are kind of obvious, but maybe some that you haven't really considered that you can fill now. While you may be looking forward to another role someday or preparing, you know, in this time of your life, excuse me, <clears throat> but there's, there's something in there for everyone. Everyone can be an active member in a local congregation and they can open the book of Acts and read and point to a certain passage and say, that's me. That, yeah. that right there is an example 2000 years ago of a gift that I have now that I can use for God and use for the church now. You know, David, there's, there's scriptures that I've used and I know I've heard other people use as well. In fact, I think maybe, I hope I'm not spoiling anything in your study. Um, you have one of them towards the end. Um, first Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12. There's, there's scriptures that talk about, you know, the, the gifts and talents we have, but I first heard this study at sulfur um, which is, uh, for those who aren't familiar with that, it's a, a large uh, group service meeting at um, Sulphur, Oklahoma. There's this outdoor tabernacle. There's a lot of great preaching. And you preached a an abbreviated version of this. Um, and I think in that one, how many do you think you got through? Like four? Maybe five? four or five. Yeah. And and so when you sent me your notes, I mean, I knew I knew from whenever I heard it, I really thought, it needed to be, you know, broadcast far and wide because I had never thought about the book of Acts in this way. Now, recently, I'm learning that the book of Acts may be a lot more than than what I've thought it was. Uh, Dad and others, Clint to France, have been talking about the book of Acts, how really the way we should be interpreting it is kind of about the kingdom and the kingdom advancing, and it's not just a book of conversions. And so my eyes are opened in that regard, but I felt like your study opened my eyes in 
kind of what you're talking about in each chapter, it seems like there's a person who there's a line mentioned, but then it gives us time to pause and meditate on what what that person may have been experiencing or going through or what what their role actually was. And so, man, I just loved it whenever you you led the study at Sulphur. And I'm excited that we get to, you know, hopefully talk about the the whole thing. I don't know how long this is going to be. Maybe it's going to be like it's so late that we need to be done tonight and, you know, come back another time and record the second half. But um, for what it's worth, as your cheerleader, I, I think this study is fantastic. And I hope people will uh, consider what you have to say, because we've recently had elders as well. And some of the things that you spoke whenever you gave this at Sulphur really kind of hit me hard. As yeah, we were focusing a lot on a few, which I think is important. Obviously, the scriptures, their biblical leadership is important, but you really emphasize there's a place for everyone, and I think that's going to resound well with a lot of people. Right. So, I want you to, I guess, just start at the beginning of your study and uh, take us through, you know, each chapter at a time. Now, you and I get the benefit of seeing some slides, and everybody else is just listening. But if I were to skip to the very end, I can see chapter one, chapter three, chapter five, six, seven, uh, all the way down. And, and you've got like a title for the different roles uh, that people might have. And so uh, why don't we begin in chapter one and kind of take us through this first one and then we'll just kind of comment and go roll by roll. Sure. So I kind of like to start in the seventh chapter. Oh, okay. That's, that's kind of out of order. Um, but I think it's important that we start with a role that we don't want to fill, but we often find ourselves in it because it's the role of waiting and wanting something else. Uh, in, in Acts chapter seven, verse 50, uh, 57 says that this, at this, they covered their ears, crying out in a loud voice, and rushed together at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, we know this is talking about Stephen and the sermon that he gave. And, and as they stone him, and they're laying there, it's very important that it mentions, you know, it's the transition of, of the, the book of Acts. Now we're about to see the life and the conversion of Saul. Right. But the role that we see Saul in is that he is seeing the role that he wants to fill, fulfill someday as, you know, a leader in, uh, he wants to see himself as one of these Jewish leaders that he's striving to be. And he thinks he's going to be a well-known teacher in the, in the Jewish community. And he's so blinded to the beautiful sermon that Stephen just gave. He's so blinded to the need of spreading the beauty of that sermon to other people and what Christ can do to all of the people that are around him. He can't see that because he's so busy looking at who he wants to be someday. And so I, I call that the farsighted uh, leader. And that is, it's really what most of us do as young people. We get so focused on, you know, someday I'm going to be an elder in the church. Someday I'm going to have a great family and be influential. Someday I'm going to do this. And 
because we're looking at our resources right now and maybe we're single, maybe we're young, maybe we, we don't have, we live in an apartment and we want to have a house that can, that can have get togethers. We want to be able to do all of this someday, but all we look at is how small we are and how little we can affect people. And we think that we don't have much to offer. And so we get stuck thinking about what's going to happen someday and not thinking about what good roles we could be doing right now. So that's the one I try to start with and say, look, we've got to be careful not to get stuck in this because we're going to talk about a bunch of really fantastic roles, but some of them we may not, you know, we may not be able to, to um, enjoy participating in until we're older, but we got to be careful that we don't say, okay, someday, and then miss out on 20 or 30 years of good working for the church because we were waiting yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. What would you say is the difference between being a far-sighted leader and then being a visionary? You know, somebody who has maybe they see things in the future. And I'm not talking mystical or, you know, miraculous, but just having a vision or a dream or a hope. You know, what was what would is there a difference between the two? Yeah, I definitely think there is. And the one I'm talking about here with Saul is the fact that he was blinded. He was blinded to his now because he was focusing on his future so much that he couldn't see what was going on right in front of him. Okay. And I think the difference is a visionary goes, someday I want to be able to do that. But in order to do that, here are the steps it's going to take for me to get to that point. Right. And along the way, I need to, to be developing what I have to offer now. You know, here's, here's where I'm at. Here's the best use. You know, if you were a visionary and you wanted to be a millionaire, you'd go, okay, well, what kind of money do I have now? This is what I've got. Taking what, inventory what of what you got. In order to get to that point. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, as the scripture says. So uh, we're starting with that one to encourage people, especially young people, not to wish their present away, hoping for this future. Um, at this point, do you go back to chapter one or is there yes. another place where you go? Yeah. I mean, it's not really chronological. In fact, some of these are repeats. They'll, they'll be two or three that are the same thing, but they kind of have a little bit of a twist and add maybe another flavor or another little side to it that, that, um, you know, it expands the idea a little bit more, but we can, we can just start with chapter one. Okay. Well, some people may know Joseph slash Barsabbas slash Justice from Bible trivia, but you bring out a character trait about him that uh, maybe we don't read whenever we're just casually reading through Acts. So who is this guy and how does he fit in in these uh, roles that you're talking about? So in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, 23, you see that... Uh, they are proposing two men to fill the place of Judas. And Joseph, called Barsabbas, is one of these men. We had a couple of meetings with Jimmy Cading, who came and, and talked to us several times about how to prepare the congregation to accept the eldership. And one of the things that he talked about was this idea that's happening right here, and that is there are going to be good men who are almost ready, 
but just not quite yet. And they're not going to be called on yet to be an elder. There are also going to be some men that are never going to be qualified for whatever reason. You know, some of those qualifications, they're just not going to be able to fulfill those. And they meet maybe some great men that really are helping and driving the work of the church there. And just because they don't get the title does not change their character and hopefully does not change the work that they're still doing. And so I I kind of see this coming to life with this Joseph Colbert Sabbaths that they thought of him as a righteous man, righteous enough that, you know, he could have taken the place and been one of these 12. Yeah. And so they bring him in. And for whatever reason, he, you know, it's not selected. They say that, and they they pray about it and they turn it over to the Lord and, uh, (coughs) excuse me, sinus infections getting to me, um, that he's not filled into this role. Now we kind of have to assume a few things. We have to assume if he was a man of character to this level, that they would bring him in to offer him this, that he didn't just go. Oh, I didn't get the role, so I'm out of here. I'm done right. with this whole thing. Right. You have to, you kind of have to assume and go, a man of that stature continued on with the church, continued on to do it. And it didn't just go, well, you know, I don't have the title, so I guess I'm not important anymore. Right. And the, the role, the importance is that maybe people look forward to filling a role their whole life and they may not qualify but that doesn't change the need that we have for them Mm -hmm. to continue to be good men and good women that Mm -hmm. the church is very much needs. Yeah. I love that. Um, when you gave it a couple months ago at sulfur, I mean, that was like electricity for me. It was just so powerful to hear that the title or, you know, we don't really wear uh, name tags, you know, but like the the name tag of getting an office, isn't what it's about, but it's about loving the Lord and the Lord's people so much that you want to serve whether or not you have a title. So excellent point. Um, I remember Acts 3, but I don't remember the connection that you made there. You call them a proclaimer of change. But what's going on in Acts 3? Uh, what role is here that uh, should I be seeing in, in Acts chapter 3, 9 and 10? Okay, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. So right off the bat, we we see that, what do they see when they see this guy? They see his past. All we know about this guy is what he used to be. He was nothing, you know, in, in their terms of what a successful human being was. He was just, you know, a beggar sitting and begging by the gate. So we see him for his past only, but now everything we knew about him is different because of the way that he's acting. Now, in his case, he's walking. He is conducting himself in a way that they had never seen before, and so they're blown away. And it says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Mm. We have people, really all of us, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, there are people that we grew up with that all they know when they think about us is all the trouble that we got into or the, the past that we, the baggage and the, th- however we acted when 
we were around them. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate sometimes we move away before we prove that we changed. But the reality is everyone has some type of sinful past that they would love to get back with those people and get another shot to say, hey, I'm not like that anymore. I, I have moved on with my life. I don't think and act like that. And um, I got my act together, but it was Jesus. Jesus is that change that helped me to grow up. And, and there are some people that come out of that. They come out of a really troubled past, you know, whatever it was. Uh, maybe it was substance abuse or, you know, it may have been lust of the flesh or, or whatever kind of issues that, that may have troubled them in their life. And they come out of that and almost like the pendulum swings. It's like, I don't want anyone to know that I had that kind of trouble. I don't want anyone to know that I lived that kind of life and I committed those terrible acts. And I want everyone to see me as who I am now. They love the washing of the blood of the lamb and the feeling of being forgiven and having this new life. And they, they don't want to think about that. But the other side of that coin is there are people still there. There are people still suffering with the the wages and the burden of sin. And they need to see somebody that is a proclaimer of change. Somebody that goes, yeah, that was me, man. I was ate up with it. I was awful. I was a part of this, but I'm different. I'm happy now. I feel content with things that I wasn't before. I feel like my life has purpose and embrace, not, not embracing the sin that we, we used to be a part of, but Right. embracing the change so that you're offering hope to other people to go, man, I need to know more about this. Cause that's what they were doing. When it says that they were filled with wonder and amazement. They're like, who is this that offered this change to this guy? So embracing that change is huge. Instead of hiding from it, we need to be able to offer it for people to see. Yeah. You know, as you're, you're talking about this type of person, and I'm trying to make sense of how one is able to dwell um, close enough to their past, but they're not relishing in it, you know, or embracing it. But they're also willing to kind of look at themselves in that that previous life. Um, Paul, I think, is a great example of that. In First Timothy chapter one, he calls himself he calls himself out on the way he used to be. Uh, with the words, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent of the faith. And um, I think he, because he feels so safe and so comfortable, and, and like you said, he feels so at peace with being in the blood of the Lamb, that that peace of mind gives him the safety to talk about his past. Uh, you have any thoughts about uh, our people feeling maybe so ashamed like they're the only one? Uh, so they're, you know, maybe they're uncomfortable talking about that. How do you find that balance where you, you are able to, uh, talk about what you once were, but then also talk about the change that Jesus brings? Well, I think it starts with a love for other people that are still there. I think that when we go, I don't want anyone to hear my story because my pride wants me wants everyone else to think that I'm 
up on this pedestal that I'm, yeah. you know, I'm righteous. I'm a, I'm a super Christian. I could never fall to those problems. I want to keep that stuff hidden. That's pride. I mean, that's the devil trying to tell you, don't share this because I don't want anyone else to give up their problems. I've already mm-hmm. lost you. I don't want to lose anybody else. So, you know, you have to shut pride down and go, okay, you know what? People might, you know, I could take some flack from this. Somebody might look at me different, but somebody else needs to hear it. Right. Somebody else is in the middle of it right now. And um, they need to hear this story so that they can know that it's possible for them that Jesus offers the same change. They can be a part of it too. Right. Yes. I love it. Now, we've talked about farsighted leadership um, in Acts 7. Uh, good men without titles from chapter 1, and then proclaimers of change in chapter 3. So as we're kind of going through Acts, and I'll, I'll just keep kind of refreshing our listeners as we, we go through this, um, you talk about Barnabas, and you know he comes up several times in the book of Acts, but it's that first time in Acts 4 that you highlight. Uh, what's going on with Barnabas in Acts 4? Well, it says in verse 34, there were no needy ones among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell their property, bring the proceeds from the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet for distribution to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, we listen to a lot of sermons about the dangers of wealth. And we, you know, we know that we're not to be laying up treasure here on earth. But at the same time, there's other passages that we read, you know. Uh, I don't have the passage pulled up right now, but I know that uh, the instructions from Paul to Timothy to the rich are to tell the rich to be wealthy in good works, not give up your rich, get, get, give up your riches, get rid of everything. Yeah. No, instead, you know, it's, it's almost, you can keep your wealth if you're able to use it appropriately. And what I think is important here is you have someone that by his means, he's been able to amass some wealth. You know, it says that he was able to sell a field. We don't know if this is everything he had. He may have had all types of other things, but he has resources. So when the time comes for some type of an emergency, he has something to sell. Now, when we're young and we're, when you're a college student and you're scrapping and you're trying to just survive on ramen noodles and beans and whatever else, you may not be able to amass something to be able to help somebody else out. But as your life goes on, maybe that's something that comes to you naturally is you're able to invest money, you're able to purchase properties, you're able to do things, and you have resources so that when the time comes that maybe someone in the congregation is really in need, you could say, hey, I got you. I I can get you through this difficult time. Um, I've been very blessed in this manner over here. And I have a place that you can stay for now. Or I have a home I can sell and get through to help somebody with their medical bills that they would never be able to get out of. Uh, just the the physical expenses of life sometimes can be very overwhelming. 
and to be able to during the maybe the the easier times of life amass wealth to the point that you're able to have it set aside and ready to give when the moment calls calling this role in chapter 4 the owner of assets mm. yeah you know uh i i probably have made this point other times on my podcast i know i've made it a few times preaching but it's you know my job is be, is possible because the owners of assets are willing to share some of their assets with the church so yeah in acts 4 it really is about benevolence for those who had nothing but you know jobs like mine preachers and and others who serve the church in in that official capacity um our monthly bills are paid based off of people who have assets and, and desire to give to the church. So it's special to me because I see stuff like this and it, it lets me do what I love. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of everybody's winning, so to speak. There you have those who are exercising talents and then those who are, are you know, benefiting directly from it. So uh, owners of assets, this is a, that's a special one for me to hear about is all the way back in the first century, people were generous with their money. And uh, people have a talent for that, you know, um, right. they I wish I had that talent. Sometimes I don't seem to have the Midas touch that others do or where whatever I do seems to generate more money. Some people seem to just have the knack for it. You know, we're looking at another one. Like you said earlier, these are going to kind of just go bam, bam, bam. So we're in Acts five now. And uh, I think the story that we just looked at in Acts four is actually kind of setting up some of the events in Acts five. And uh, so you mentioned Barnabas who sold some property, but then in Acts 5, uh, you have an account about Ananias and Sapphira and, and some of the people that came in and dealt with them, but they also sold some property. However, they had a little bit more dubious motives. So uh, tell us about them and the other people in this story and how it can help us with roles in the church. Sure. So I won't necessarily read this passage People may be familiar with it, but the the main characters in the story are not the ones of our focus. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, like Barnabas, had resources that they sold, and it seems that they wanted to look good, like everybody else is giving money. Well, we want to give money too, and look at all the praise that they're getting for all the things that they're doing. Well, we could do this, but we could also do it and still keep some of the money for ourselves. So we can kind of double dip. We get praise and we get to keep money. Right. And in the midst of that, you know, they were both struck dead one at a time. But who I want to focus on in verse six is the young men stepped forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Mm. They're mentioned. So, I mean, you read over that so fast and you go into the very next thing and you're like, hold on. What if that was me? I have not had to deal with a dead body before. I, you know, I've been a pallbearer, I guess, at a, at a funeral, but I haven't had to go and lift up a dead body and all of the issues that, that kind of entail with that. But they were, not only were they willing to do it, but when it, it you know, in verse 10, when Sapphira uh, is, is struck dead, then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her. I mean, they were willing to do it again. It was like, look, I've already carried out one dead body. <laughs> I'm done. 
are you kidding me? And that was one of the worst things I've ever had to do. We're going to stay out in case that they do this again. Uh, but no, they were willing. And, and so what we learned from this is there are functional servants. Mm. Everybody mm-hmm. has got that. And everybody, when we say the word functional servant, everybody that hears this podcast or hears this sermon when I've given it, they immediately think of that person in their congregation. There's always that man or that woman that stays late after the get together to clean up. They're changing the light bulbs, mowing the grass, patching the stuff in the wall from where the kid ran through with the, you know, the toy and scratch something. They, they're always there. In fact, we just had one this past service. Somebody came out and they were like, Hey, we're so-and-so one of the toilets is leaking. You know, nobody wakes up and they're like, what role am I going to fill today? Right. Hmm, Of all the glorious things I could do, I'm going to work on the toilets, you know, (laughs) you know, or, or these men, this example, they're like, how can I serve the church? What could Peter, how could he lift me up in service to Christ? Oh, I'm going to carry dead bodies today. Mm. But they were just willing. Whatever the the, the functional needs of the church were, you have to have people like that in order to keep things going. Um, What would life be like if you didn't have those people? And that's the cliffhanger question. What would life be like if we didn't have those people. I am so glad that David joined me, and I'm really thankful to have this chance to talk with him. As a review, we're talking about the question, what is my role in the church? And today we talked about good men without titles, proclaimers of change, owners of assets, and functional servants. Now, we're just an X5, and I think if the way I'm editing this series goes, we're going to have four parts to this series, and... It's been such an encouragement for me. It's been an encouragement for me and my congregation. And there's people that I'm thinking about to put to work, to encourage, to uh, serve the Lord. And so I'm so excited for the potential of this conversation and where it can go. And in your congregation, I hope that you, dear listener, are willing to get busy working and also to encourage others because it's not just about one of us, it's about all of us doing the work of the Lord and doing the will of the Lord, because that's when we do best is when all of us are helping one another. So you need to come back next week to tune into the second part of this mini-series. You need to go to pureandsimplebible.com, check out all the resources that are there to utilize and download absolutely free. And if you haven't, please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Go to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel for PSB as well. I'm hoping to continue this ministry. I'm also hoping to bring in others and start to make it uh, a little bit less of a time burden on me so I can spread it out and delegate it privately with some folks. So pray for this ministry that it could be effective. I want you to know something. God loves you very much, and I do too. And Lord willing, we'll see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.